find your passion. Don't let anybody discourage you from it. Keep your head up and keep moving forward. Take it day by day. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Stephanie Hoffman is in the driver's seat. She is a welder, metal artist, fabricator, former welding instructor, and currently works for the American Welding Society, touring with AWS's Careers in Welding trailer. You will not want to miss the story of this 4'11 expert welder. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Stephanie Hoffman in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Stephanie? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Femcanic community and being willing to share your story with all of the women and the token men out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Thank you so much. So why don't we jump right into this and let's let's learn a little bit about Stephanie and how you got into the trade skills and maybe start off. I know the, the bio that I read pre- previous to this gave a nice intro of you, but why don't we go ahead and if you don't mind sharing with the listeners, you know, what, what's your background? What do you specialize in? Okay. Well, uh, I've been a welder for about 18, oh gosh, maybe even 20 years, depending on how you you do the math, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, so I started out when I was pretty young. My dad ran a paving crew. Um, he had a welder on site that he was always super impressed with. And it kind of always stuck with me being a daddy's girl. I was always looking to impress him. Then I kind of just had an opportunity in high school to take it as a class. And I did. And I really excelled there. It definitely wasn't the easiest environment to fit into all those years ago. But I kind of just toughed it out and, and stuck with it. I don't want to assume anything, Stephanie, but I, I, I kind of am. That's why I'm asking you the question. I'm assuming you were the only female in the class. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, things have come a long way for sure uh, with the amount of females in this trade, for sure. Yeah. Back then, it, it was kind of few and far between. Uh, I can't even remember, honestly, ever having any other women on on the job sites or anything like that uh, with me for many years. What kind of reaction did you get from men then? I mean, because 18, 20 years ago, like you said, it's evolved some. I'm, and it's still a novelty almost. Oh, look, look at how cute it's a female. It still is. Um, being four foot 11 and at the time back in high school, probably 95 pounds. Um, it definitely... It wasn't always the most well-received person in the room. It was kind of, sometimes I was taken as like a joke. Uh, it meant that I always had to work 10 times harder because everybody was always watching what I was doing all the time. So another dude on the site could, you know, chop through three grinder cords in a day and blow every single root pass he put down and nobody would raise an eyebrow. I would mess up a restart on a weld and have to get a grinder to, to blend it out and front page news, everybody's talking about it. Everybody wants to, oh, she can't, you know, she can't do this. She can't do that. So it kind of always pushed me to to be better than everybody else there. So I guess that's kind of how I ended up excelling. It probably took me a solid eight years for people to even stop wondering if I was good enough or if I could hack it and make it 
you know, I went on many of job interviews where I'd leave almost in near tears in my early days. People really didn't even want to give me a chance. They were probably, they, they already knew they didn't want to hire me as soon as I got out the car. As soon as they saw me, they basically, you know, wrote me off. And it was funny because years later I had a gentleman who needed some specialized aluminum work done. And he knew I was probably the only one in the area that was capable of doing it. He was begging a buddy of mine who ran a fab shop who he knew we were best friends, begging him to uh, get me to come out to his shop. But he was one of the guys years ago that nearly made me just quit and give up welding altogether because he was so horrible to me during an interview. So it's kind of that old, old adage, you know, don't burn, burn bridges, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, Did you specialize in like aluminum and that? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of a, one of my biggest claims to fame there, I guess, in the welding industry was a lot of the anodized and a lot of the aluminum pipe work that I, that I did over the years. Did he ever swallow his pride and apologize? No, he never apologized. He just tried to pretend like it was old. Like it never it happened. never happened. Just, you know move on. So I mean, maybe if he apologized, it might've been a little different, but I probably still wanted to, wanted to work for him. So, uh, yeah, but you know, no I have to ask because this is, this is where kind of the rubber meets the road where I think it opens up other women to really connect with the story. What were you feeling in those moments? Like you described some interviews that you would leave and it, it sounded like yeah. that you would leave practically in tears. Like what, what were your feelings? And I imagine there was kind of a transition of feelings. Yeah. A lot of times, I guess I'm, I'm a little stubborn, a little hard headed at times. So maybe, and I'm very competitive. So I probably my competitive side is, is probably how I made it through and didn't actually give up. Um, Cause many times I just was like, I should just go and like, I don't know, do hair or, or something like that. Like just not do something that was going to, you know, cause a stir every time I walked into a room, something that people would just expect out of me. And I guess that competitive side of me was just like, you know what, screw them. (laughs) You know, I'm going to show them that I can do it. And uh, I would just go to the next job interview. And then, you know, I'd get that job work, get better at something, try and just keep moving myself through the industry until I kind of found my niche or where I was comfortable being. Um, Cause I, I mean, I, one of my first jobs I got hired to do, um, I was working in a shipyard on clam dredges, repairing clam dredges in the winter time. It was probably one of the worst jobs I ever had working with some of the grossest of gross people. I have to ask, what is that? I mean, I'm trying to imagine when I hear clam, I'm like, Ugh. yeah. So you ever watched like the show deadliest catch maybe? I have, yeah. So, you know those big crab cages? They they throw them down and they drag them along the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Like kind of the yeah. same type of deal, but with clam dredges. So it's like a big dredge that they drag. Um, and these things get all types of beat up. And in the in the winter months, they pull a lot of the ships off offline and, and, and do a lot of repairs and stuff like that. You have to you know, clean them up and get them ready for the, ne- the next season and now, when you say winter months, is this actually up north? This is in New Jersey on the Jersey Shore, so it's it's cold. <laughs> it's not fun. Got it. And I remember me and this other this other guy got hired at the same time, and we both were miserable. We both hated it so much. And I remember just always thinking, "I'm not going to quit until this guy quits." <laughs> I, I waited it out, and, and when he quit, I I quit a week later. Up so much, and the people there were so gross and disgusting. Like I was. 
I would hate getting out of the car to go to work every day. I was like, oh God, <laughs> here they come. And I remember everyone went back to get my last paycheck because it was so bad. You're like, keep the money. <laughs> I was like, just keep it. I don't, I don't even want to be bothered with that anymore. But, oh, I mean, it was a learning experience for sure. And uh, you know, I was able to put it down as a little bit of a resume builder there, but I would you know, not, not nothing against the men and women that work in the, the shipyards, but it's, that life ain't for me. But <laughs> so. Would you say it happened a couple times where you'd go in for interviews and you're just written off or was this quite a bit? Because this seems to be a challenge that a lot of women run into is just getting in the door. Yeah, it was it was definitely quite a bit. I would say when I got hired working, uh, doing tuna towers and sky bridges and stuff, doing a lot of anodized aluminum work. When I got hired there, those ideas of, you know, what I was capable of doing started to break down a little bit. And um, that was kind of nice. And then from there, when I left that company, a lot of people started to recognize me for the work that I did and were starting to like seek me out. That was kind of cool. But yeah, I would, I would say on all the interviews I went on by more than half of them, I knew that I wasn't getting the job. It was just a courtesy because somebody I knew, you know, knew somebody and, and said, Hey, you should check her out. She'd be good for the job. And then they just were like, no way, you know, do you think it was because you're a female? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a lot to do with my size. Cause again, I'm, I'm not that, not your average size female. I'm much smaller than most. So I think that had a lot to do with it. I think people just underestimated me. They, I guess they thought I was going to be more of a burden or a distraction than anything. And, you know, that's not my style. Talk a little bit more about distraction. What do you mean by that? So I worked for a company one time where I was told I wasn't allowed to wear tank tops or shorts in the summertime uh, because I was a distraction, things like that. I wasn't allowed out on the line to do certain repairs because I was a distraction. Like, I, you know, the guys at work were going to stop what they were doing to too busy to watch what I was doing to be interested in what they were doing. So Again, I don't want to make assumptions. And like I said, I've seen you on Instagram. You're a beautiful woman. Do you think that when they when they were referring to distraction, that they were talking about whether you were doing the job well or? No, they were just looking at me to look at me because I was just a, a pretty girl walking through a male-dominated work sh- workspace. So <laughs> that's a lot of what I was going up against. Oftentimes, I would just wear sweatshirts and put my hair in a messy ponytail and try not to put any makeup on just so that I would kind of make it through the day some days, I guess, or not be that distraction. But it didn't matter what I did. It was just always, it's always seemed like certain places would make it into an issue. But over the years, definitely uh, a lot of that started to wear off. Again, like I said, I think a lot of it came from my experience, people trusting what I was doing, understanding that I wasn't just some girl looking for attention, because I think mm-hmm. that's often a problem with females coming into male-dominated industries. You sometimes see that, and I've seen it myself when, you know, working places, a girl would come in and she wouldn't last long, maybe, you know, a couple of, couple of weeks, and, you know, she would just leave, and she was normally lazy or did, you know, didn't really bother was always looking for help or a handout. And, you know, those girls get weeded out pretty quick. So I think sometimes it's, it's, you know, females like that in the industry that kind of give the rest of us hardworking ones a kind of a bad rap. Yeah. And to your point as as women, 
we have to work twice as hard. Absolutely. Yeah, we're constantly under that microscope in this industry or any, you know, male dominated industry for sure. At what point in your career did you feel was that turning point for you? Like how many years into your career were you like, okay, a lot of the, the petty stuff I'm not dealing with nearly as much? Um, it probably took about eight years. All right, Femcanics, you heard that from Stephanie, a veteran of 18 years. This does not <laughs> happen in a year. And if it does, and if, no. if you never have to worry about that, you are blessed. And stay where you're yes. at. You're somewhere great. To your point, Stephanie, it, it takes time. Yeah. And I mean, it's perseverance is key. Keeping your chin up, you know, keep your head above water every day. Go in there. Take it each day, one day at a time, and don't get discouraged and just keep kind of keep your nose to the grind and keep moving forward and you'll be all right. Thick skin. I keep hearing that as well. Thick skin is absolutely yeah. critical. It's not for the weary of hearts. Yeah. I, I want to ask, when I read through your pre-interview form, you have welder, metal artist. So... Talk to me a little bit about metal artists. That's actually something my partner wants to get into. And I, I've seen it. It blows me away, the possibilities with it. Talk to me a little bit about that. How? I mean, I understand kind of how organically you could get into that just because you did welding in general. But to focus on metal artists. That took a really long time, honestly. I didn't really start getting into that until about four or five years ago. Um, when I actually had time, I guess you could say, I fell into being a welding instructor uh, for about five years before taking the job with the American Welding Society. Um, and when my older students, my senior students would be leaving on co-op all the time, or sometimes I would do a whole like lead by example thing. So I would, you know, they would sometimes want to challenge me and be like, you can't make anything out of this scrap or X, Y, and Z. And I would just kind of start dabbling with pieces of scrap they would give me and make some like, you know, a big fish sculpture or whatever I had. Um, so I guess just my, my free time and then inspiration started to kind of come through being a welding instructor. I wanted to give kids a way to learn problem, problem solving skills that they weren't going to get from just doing, you know, basic you know, codes and procedures, you know, basic T-joints and fill it and groove welds all day long. That's monotonous and not very fun for most people. I mean, that's how I learned how to weld, but I knew that there was better ways to teach welding and through, you know, creativity and projects and stuff, it was kind of a no brainer to use that to my advantage. And it gave me time to be creative and get better at my craft and also, you know, gave my students opportunity to kind of try new things and learn some skills that maybe they weren't going to learn from just doing the basic T-joint or, you know, groove weld. That's kind of a good segue. And I know chronologically it actually came before, but you got your degree in education. Yes. And you were a, technically, is it called a shop teacher now? I don't know. I was just a welding instructor. <laughs> I guess it's A welding instructor. Yeah. How long did you do that? And was it at high school or... Yeah, I was at a career in tech center. Uh huh. So it was a high school majority of, you know, to all the, the students. And then at night, I started a um, adult ed program. And this is where again? In Salem County, New Jersey. 
So this is all in New Jersey. I want to talk a little bit about this because when I'm thinking about the timing of all this, you're a single mother and you're taking care care of your ill father. Yes. So that was during Hurricane Sandy, really. So I was a single mom taking care of my dad who was very ill. Uh, My house was destroyed. My mother's house was destroyed. Um, I was also going to college full time. So it was a handful uh, working as a welder too. (laughs) And um, got through it all, got my degree in education, ended up uh, not, I actually thought I was going to use my degree in education just to get away from uh, welding actually, because it was really kind of I was spending a lot of time working outages and working a lot of overtime, thought it was more important to make a ton of money than, and that would be better to provide for my daughter. So uh, it was really starting to affect her a little bit. And so I thought, you know, being an instructor might, you know, a teacher of any sort might make for a better lifestyle for us. Got my degree in education, thought I was going to just be a high school history teacher or something like that. And this job opened up. Uh, my old welding instructor actually was the one who's like, you got to apply for this. I was like, you're not going to hire me. You know, there's no way this very rural town that was two hours away from my house in New Jersey is going to hire me to teach their welding program. It's just not going to happen. So I thought that they were just giving me an interview to kind of run through the motions. And the next day I went back after my first interview, did a demo lesson and a weld test and they hired, they, they offered me the job right there and I couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. Now, how, how old was your daughter then? Uh, she was about five, six years old. One of the things that men will never be able to relate to, even though they may try, and that's not a dig on them. It's just, it is different giving birth to a child mm-hmm. versus standing next to someone standing next to a woman that is giving birth. Yeah. Men in their career, literally their child can be born and two to three days later, they're back at work. Right. Right. That's not always the case for women. And to be honest, after giving birth, going back to a job where you're standing majority of the day, uh, it's just, it's not very realistic. Right. Can you share with the listeners, how did you do it? What did, what did you do? What suggestions or pointers could you give them to figure out how to navigate this? Honestly, I think I, I was super fortunate because I had had my daughter. She was just a couple of months old. And my welding instructor that I had in high school, my Votech instructor, he actually needed a, a teacher's aid at the time. That's kind of how I got this idea of becoming an instructor or a teacher. Um, and he, he asked if I wanted to come work at the school part-time and do all of, uh, like the TIG instruction and stuff like that, all the TIG welding stuff. And I was like, sure. And it worked. The hours were nice. It was from, I guess it was about nine o'clock to one o'clock in the afternoon, one Didn't really have, I wasn't worried about doing any extra paperwork or anything like that. I was just kind of going in. And so I was kind of, kind of lucky on that side of things. And my aunt ran a little preschool. So I was able to, you know, make sure my daughter was taken care of in this little preschool. And so I was definitely very fortunate to have kind of, you know, family around to to give me a hand. So really, if you're, if you have small children, my family is, is kind of key at some points, you know, to kind of propel yourself forward and, 
you know, that's, that's at least how I was able to, to manage it all. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And it does take a village. Yeah. I mean, whether they're blood related or not, you know, family could be anybody, your best friend, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but I would say definitely, you know, don't be, don't be ashamed to ask for help or, you know, whether it's even just a night off, <laughs> you know. Right. Give yourself a little bit of adult time. Yeah. Even if that's sitting at home and your PJs reading a book. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. I'm still processing Hurricane Sandy. You lost your home? Yeah. 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 We had quite a bit of water. My mom had several feet of water. Yeah, it was pretty rough. It was a rough time. Not my favorite time. <laughs> that's for sure. It's hard for me to fathom. I've never had anything like that happen. Yeah, we were two weeks without power. I, we had no furniture, no cabinets. We were running off a generator for about two weeks. I was washing pots and pans and like some little dishes that we had because we could salvage the, the the gas burning stove that we had. We couldn't use the oven because that was destroyed, but the stove top we could use. And I was washing pots and pans for, gosh, couple of months in a in a bathtub <laughs> my daughter she had to stay at her dad's house for just about three weeks until she could even you know come home to even see her what her new not house really looked like at that point it was wow how old was she then maybe four or five somewhere around there five I guess I guess she was about five years old it's like the perfect no pun intended but perfect storm with everything going on yeah it was a lot it was definitely overwhelming at times. And my ex at the time, well, the guy that I was dating for many years, he was a kind of an abusive guy and alcoholic. So on top of my dad dying from being an alcoholic at the time, going through all that. So it was a, it was a lot. <laughs> I was wearing the, the, the weight of the world on my shoulders for, for a while there, but thankfully I had some uh, college professors during that time that were super understanding and, you know, really accommodating with me to make sure that I was able to uh, finish out my my classes and get all my requirements done so that I could graduate on time. Very thankful for them. Where did you end up getting your degree from? Uh, Stockton University. Yep. So I got a degree in education from there. Kudos to you and congratulations on that. Yeah. So that was definitely the hardest thing I ever had to to give up when I took this job that I'm doing now with the American Wilding Society is leaving all my students behind. You know, I had some of my students for four years in, in some of my classes. So yeah, it was like they they became my my other children. I had forty two children. <laughs> <laughs> now, how were you when you first took that role as an instructor, mm-hmm. year one? How were you received? Were there any girls in those classes? Uh, I had one young lady. Being that it was a very rural farm town, very different from where I live in Ocean County. It's a a beach town here, whereas out there it's all farms. And like I said, I was commuting about two hours each way to get down there. So I guess it meant something to these kids that I was, you know, I kind of went out of my way each day. I'm driving in the car four hours a day and be there with them. So I really gave it my all when I was there and they appreciated it. They really liked the uh, new ideas that I had. I was replacing a a 74 year old man who um, didn't really put much effort into you know, what they were doing in the shop every day. And there was a lot of things that he, they, he wasn't teaching them. Um, and their parents were, would be writing me letters and emails, thanking me and saying, oh, you know, he's so much more excited now to go to school. And 
Uh, he's learning so much. He's upset. He's only going to have you for this one year before he graduates. And that was always kind of nice. I was really worried at first that uh, they were going to give me a lot of, I don't know, not really receive me very well, but pleasantly surprised. And they took to it real well, except when I left, you know, flash forward, you know, several years later when I had to let them know that I was leaving and I left. How long were you at that role? Uh, just shy of five years. Yeah. And uh, I didn't finish my last year there. Um, I just left there, you know, four months ago to take over and uh, tour the country with the careers and welding trailer. And um, yeah, they were pretty bummed out that I was leaving. They, they gave the new instructor kind of a run for his money from what I heard a couple of the students did because they weren't too happy, but you know, had to do what I had to do, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, nothing was going to get me away from, from teaching even uh, until this opportunity came around and I was able to kind of influence and encourage young folks to get involved in, in the industry and in the trade on a much larger scale now. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. So you left the instructor role from that particular uh, school and the age group of those students were about 14 to 18. And then my night school program was 18 to gosh, probably 60 years old. I probably had some students. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So I had a pretty wide range. I would totally be in there. <laughs> just <laughs> totally, just really enjoying myself. Now, how, how did you come into your current role? Did you apply for it? Were you sought out? <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of sought out. So I was an active member in the American Welding Society for uh, quite a few years and uh, doing different events and going to different conferences and uh, Fabtech Expo and being part of some of the national things that they were doing. I guess I kind of got noticed. Uh, I'm not always the one to hold back on feelings and thoughts and, and ideas that I have and I'll don't mind tapping someone on the shoulder who I know might listen. So <laughs> I guess somebody was listening all those years and uh, this opportunity came up and this past, I guess it was end of November. I got a, a random email asking if I would be interested in uh, you know, touring the country with the careers and welding trailer and taking over as program manager of workforce development for them. And naturally the American Welding Society is a, one of the largest welding organizations in the world. Uh, they have a, a global reach with just about any uh, welding related industry, you know, company, whether it's, you know, Lincoln Electric or Miller or ESOB or Harris Torch that, you know, they, they probably have some type of ties with all of them, as well as they write all the codes and standards that I've been, you know, living by for all these years. So to me, the AWS is the what people think of in, in law as like getting asked to go and work for the Supreme Court. You know, it, that's kind of what it was like for me. That's great. The Supreme Court of welding. Yeah. It, <laughs> that's well, that's awesome. kind of what they, they call it, you know, it's kind of our governing body really. And everybody kind of piggies a back off of what the AWS puts out there, you know, to be asked to, to be a part of that and kind of be a little bit of a face of, you know, careers in welding was kind of awesome. So I, I naturally jumped at the, the opportunity. And uh, so now I'm on an 18 week tour traveling the country, uh, you know, talking to kids and, you know, adults that are looking to be career change changers and, you know, people who are interested in welding or engineering and uh, encouraging them you know, to get involved and then 
get, we give out about $1.3 million last year in scholarships too. So we're definitely encouraging education and trying to fund it the best way that we can. That's absolutely amazing. And I have to pause here and give absolute kudos to the American Welding Society for switching it up Yeah, for the face to be a female. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time the organization ever, ever really did this with anybody. The fact that if you knew any people in the AWS, a lot of times you always look at them and you might think that they're a little uh, straight laced. And a lot of them are people that are been in the field a lot longer than I have, let's say. And uh, Mm -hmm. when I got hired, I was like, did they forget what I looked like? I'm covered in tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if this is right. This is really happening. <laughs> and uh, they're like, no, no, it's good. This is what we want. So I was like, all right. And I was like, am I allowed? I cannot wear like t-shirts and stuff if you don't want me to. <laughs> and they're like, no, we do. You're good. They want you to be you. Yeah. So that was really. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, it was super. It was super awesome. And Well, if anyone from the American Welding Society listens to this podcast, and I hope hopefully they do. Kudos to you, because it's about time for change. It is about time to start creating a face for the trades that is not a single face, that is a white man, yeah, but is one of diversity. Yeah. So kudos to them, whoever is listening or will listen to this. And kudos to you, Stephanie, for putting yourself in a position to be the a legitimate candidate for this. I mean, you went... Thank you. I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but <laughs> here I am. But that's, that's just a testament to who you are. You, that, that's, what I, that's why I keep telling all of the women that I interview. It's not what you do when everyone's watching. It's what you do when no one's watching. And it's literally the makeup of who you are as a person. Yeah. It, it's that simple. You are just being you and who you are when no one else is looking that that's when people notice as strange as that sound yeah think no one's listening or watching but people are yeah more is caught than taught what i found find so fascinating about when you dabbled in being a metal artist mm-hmm. if i'm understanding your story right the whole genesis of that was opening students' minds to the possibilities to, hey, these aren't just scraps. You can make amazing things with this. Yeah. I mean, that's in turning s- scraps into a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, not one of those things that I realized I was doing really until after I had already done it. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that was a pretty good idea. <laughs> it's a perfect example that it's just you being you. Yeah. And kudos to you. And I, I am honored to be sitting having a conversation right now and getting to know you better and you continue to impress me thank you you're welcome there's a couple things one of the questions i ask in the pre-interview question is what has been your biggest career trade or failure and it sounds negative but the responses always are interesting to me because you can tell a lot by a person's personality Mm -hmm. when they answer this question the way you answered it is in that it's not really a failure, they're lessons, but I purposely word it that way just to see how people react. Right. The couple things that you wrote in here, I'm going to read it out loud here because you touched on one of them. You said, that's tough. I wouldn't say I have any big failures. I have had crappy jobs in shipyard, worked for horrible bosses, left interviews in tears, failed a weld test or two, made some mistakes reading prints, you name it. For listeners to hear that, it is not about failing. 
It's about picking yourself up and keep going. And here you are 18, 20 years later, and look at where you're at. You are with the premier company for your industry. Yeah. The governing body for your industry. I mean, if, if someone were to tell you 15 years ago that that's what you would be doing, would, what would you have said to them? I, I would have been like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just wrote my first blog the other day for our new website, The Welding Digest. I had said, it's very strange to be sitting here typing this right now, being that like, if you would have plucked me out of my very first welding class, where every time I heard the AWS, you know, oh, we're going to be doing D11 code, or you're going to have to take your, your 3G test tomorrow or this week, you know, you're just like sweating bullets. And like <laughs> these people, te- they literally terrify me. And it's what my nightmares were made of in high school and my early years as a welder. <laughs> you know, and now here I am working for them. It just feels surreal. Oh, man, it's kind of funny. I'm going to finish with the one sentence after that. Well, actually two. You said, I, I wouldn't say they were failures. Just lessons learned. If I allowed a stumble to knock me down, I would have never survived in this industry. I am thoroughly impressed by you. One question that I did have is you're traveling 18 weeks out of the year. And this is another thing that I feel that I struggle with and I imagine other women do too. If you are a man, say a man got this job. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to be traveling 18 weeks out of the year. And let's say this man has one or two children. I'll use my children's age. They're my son. Today is my son's birthday. Happy birthday, little man, Jordan. He turned nine. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. Thanks. Well, thanks for him. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter's 11. She'll be 12 in October. Now, if a man shared that with a group of other male friends and they said that they'd be traveling 18 weeks, do you think anyone would think anything about it? I guess it's more normal. It's- yeah, I think it's normalized, right? Yeah. But as women, when we share things like that, where are your kids going to be? Yeah, I get that question all the time. You're going to be away from your children. What are you doing? Your daughter. <laughs> right? It, it, yeah. But yet I feel like if I were a man, it'd be like, you're doing the right thing for your family. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're a female, it's like, my gosh, you're spending so much time away. It's like, what? Yeah. I'm, I'm confused. Yeah, definitely. That's a lot of times people's uh, first question is, you know, what about your daughter? Who has your daughter? And I always want to be like, well, what is your business? <laughs> she's okay. She's taken care of. Don't you worry. You know, that's what it- you were a man. That wouldn't even be a question. No, I wouldn't even be asked for sure. How do you respond and how do you handle that when people ask that? Well, when people ask me, you know, who has her, where she's at, I'm always just like, oh, she's good. You know, she has, she has her grandmas and her dad, her dad's a great dad and her stepdad's awesome and always, you know, always there for her too. So she's got a really great support system at home. And if anything, I feel like she doesn't even miss me half the time, honestly. So she's got her, she's got her cell phone and she's able to talk to me and FaceTime me and all that stuff. So it's, it's, it's not terrible. I wish I was only gone 18 weeks, but going back and forth to Miami and then doing instructors institutes a couple of weeks ago and going out to Lincoln Electric for training and everything else. It, it's definitely going to turn out to be significantly more than 18 weeks away, but they've been super supportive. And, you know, luckily all the events I go to are super family friendly. And if I ever feel the need that, you know, I need my daughter around, she's always welcome to come help out on the trailer for the day and, um, you know, be a part of it. So she was able to come out to uh, Skills USA in Louisville, Kentucky for the national uh, competition. 
so we got to spend the week out there and she was, you know, helping with taking pictures and we got to go to all the events afterwards and she was, she loved it. So try to include her when I can and other trips when I know it's going to be too, too crammed or too crazy. She, she's got plenty of uh, Grammys and she has, she has a blast. So she's not, she's not stressing it. So neither am I. What kind of feeling do you have around that when people ask that? I mean, do you feel annoyed or anything around that? Or is it just... Sometimes I feel like people can, might be judging my parenting skills at times, you know, wondering why I chose to not be around. But what works for my family doesn't have to work for their family, so... I agree. And my reason for going down this line of questioning is... It's that internal talk as women. One, we tend to apologize a lot. Two, like this guilt, particularly around our children when we pursue our heart's desire. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt that. That's why I left welding in the field and got into teaching because I felt guilty not being around and not being the one who potty trained my daughter. You know, she learned that at a preschool. And- not being there to take her to her first movie because my sister had her that, you know, that day and because I was working and, and things like that. Always getting the pictures of all the fun going on and just being the one to provide the, the funds for it to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. I still hold a lot of guilt about that. I have, you know, there's been many a times where I've been in tears in bed at night crying to my husband, telling him, you know, I, I blew it, you know, she she's older now and now I'm gone on the road and she doesn't even, she doesn't miss me. Like I thought she was going to miss me. And I, I created this basically, you know, I feel, I feel bad sometimes that she's so used to me not being around, I guess. I think she definitely knows that I, I work hard and she's appreciative of that. And she, she said a couple of things over the years where it makes, makes me realize she kind of admires my work ethic, I guess. She, she appreciates hard work and, and she sees that I do work hard for her. Do you think she realizes what a unicorn her mom is in the industry? Maybe sometimes. <laughs> I, I know she's proud. She likes to go to school and tell people that her mom's a welder or this or that. Like she volunteered her. Te- she volunteered me basically. She she told her teacher that I could make all these props and stuff like a a metal you know laundry cart and signs and stuff for their school play because oh my mom can make it. She's a welder. Next thing you know, I'm making all these things. I'm like. I'm so i know she's proud of it it's one of those things where she she may really come to appreciate it the older that she gets yeah sometimes it's hard to at that age wrap their mind around how significant i'm guessing you're the first female in this particular role yes yeah the very first in a society that has been around for how many years 100 years yeah (laughs) and you're you're the first (laughs) yeah I mean there's lots of women that work for the organization I'm the first person to host the trailer that's a that is a woman that's for sure and just let's put that in perspective what does that mean to uh, to to host the trailer is that a big deal or I think it is I mean I think it's this isn't a trailer that they scrounged together a couple of pennies for and put this thing on the road. I mean, this is a multi-million dollar investment that they've made over the last nine years or so, 10 years that the trailer has been on the road. 
pay a lot of money to go to these events and want people to interact and talk to somebody who's well-informed and involved in the trades. I think it, it, it means something for them to have somebody who, who can represent the, the organization well, I guess. Yeah. So I guess it, I, I feel like it would be a big deal. <laughs> it sounds like it to me. How have you been received at these events? Pretty well. I don't, I haven't had any like people not stoked to talk to me, I guess. <laughs> you haven't been passed over by anyone or anything or like, oh, I'll go talk to the man. No, I think, well, no, no. Cause I think if, if they don't care about welding, they just want to ask me about my tattoos normally. So <laughs> <laughs> <I think> that's <laughs> another. <laughs> okay. You have to um, share with the list. How many tattoos do you have? Uh, I don't know. I just know body coverage is probably about uh, 85 to 90% somewhere in there. There you go. Both, both legs, both arms, uh, front and back of my torso, stomach, chest, back, all that. The only thing I'm not tattooed are, uh, the tops of my feet, my throat and my face. So (laughs) I got quite a bit. (laughs) That's outstanding. And of course my mother goes, when is enough enough? And I'm basically at that point, I was, didn't have any space left. I'm like, you could have asked that like (laughs) 10 years ago. (laughs) You're a little late, mom. <laughs> a little late to the party, mom. Come with it. I have never asked any any woman that I've interviewed this. What would be one thing that you would say to your daughter? Never give up, probably. <laughs> I feel like I tell her that a lot. Sometimes I don't think she she understands why I'm telling her not to give up on things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she does give up a little quickly. <laughs> you know, she gets frustrated and she's like, I don't care anymore. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Constantly, I'm telling her, you know, not to quit so easily. Don't give up, you know, put effort into things. If Briley listens to this podcast, which hopefully you share it with her, Briley, your your mom is a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a perfect time to launch into the red line round. Are you ready, Stephanie? Oh, I guess I gotta be, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Oh, my gosh. Or what? I guess I just always wanted to look as cool as Rosie the Riveter does when she's wearing a cool headband. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? Oh, Google. Everybody loves Google. What excites you most about what you do? Oh, man. I guess when I see other people's creations and stuff, I get super inspired and just want to build it too <laughs> and make something cooler. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? Hmm. Calling my mom, <laughs> venting to my mom or my sister. <laughs> That's probably it. It's the therapy session right there. Yeah, yeah. Either one of them will do. Whoever answers the phone first. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Find your passion. Don't let anybody discourage you from it. Keep your head up and keep moving forward. Take it day by day. Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and have a conversation with me and the femcanic community. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it too. Where and how can people connect with you? We got my Instagram. It's underground metalworks. 
aws.org you can find a ton of scholarship info and all types of uh, welding info careersandwelding.com we've got tons of job information salary stuff uh, school locators again the scholarship information and then i do have a blog series coming out on the weldingdigest.com i'm stephanie hoffman program manager of workforce development for the american welding society foundation and i'm a femcanic the next episode features the Collision Industries Collisionista, Petra Schroeder. She's been in the paint and collision industry since 1969, starting her career in Germany and later making her way to the U.S. She was the recipient of the Most Influential Woman in Collision Repair Award in May of 2018. This interview is packed with some of the best trade advice I have heard. Be sure to tune in. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?